but you know me by a different, much older name. A name perhaps you hoped you'd never hear again. All right, this is an open letter podcast, and I am Dave. I'm your host for this podcast. Thanks for listening today. It is a gorgeous Saturday afternoon here in Zealand, Michigan at the time of recording. We're looking out over a lovely uh, lake. What is that lake called, Chad? Lake Lancer. Lake Lancer. Lake Lancer, full of lily pads. So it's, it's not really a lake. It's no. more like a retention pond. It is, but they call it a lake because why not? Because... Of, like, the Lancers. Well, yeah. Who own the Who station? Who own the station we record this yeah. from. Have some respect. Oh, I, I did I show a lack of respect? I think so. I'm so sorry. You Lance, should apologize I'm right now. I'm so sorry to the the pond or the lake. You're what the about who, the Lancers? I apologize to them, too, if that's needed. <laughs> if they're listening. Uh, so, hey, we always kind of start this off with a little bit of levity. If you listen to this podcast and are a big fan of my wife, Carol... You just might as well shut it off right now because she is not here today. She's recovering from surgery, and she's a little bit sore, and so she did not make it. Big and baby. She, I know, I know. She will be greatly missed, absolutely. So I miss her, and I know she misses being here. Uh, but I do have to my right, you've already heard him talk, my friend and producer, Mr. Chad Cashman. That's me. All right, and so to my left is my friend, Craig Appel. That's me. Craig has a phenomenal voice. It's one of the reasons, not the only reason, probably one of the least of the reasons we brought him on here. But I don't say anything worse, worthwhile. I just say it well. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and I, we, actually, that's kind of a common thing. You should be a politician maybe, but um, yeah. Um, can you say something like that's you know like real well-known, like Romeo, Romeo, where for Alto Romeo, or something like that that sounds really, really, you know, make it sound really bold and majestic? One that I'm often asked to say is, Luke, I am your father. Oh, that's good. That's nice, Chad. That's, that's, that's good. Very Star Wars-like, isn't it? No, it's not. Can you... Now, here's another one. Now we'll see if you can sound majestic saying something silly, like, I really love those Dorito Loco Tacos. I really love those Dorito Loco Tacos. I feel like I want one now. Just because of that. I'm hungry just from saying it. <laughs> well, you should be. You got a little bit of saliva there. Let me get that for you. Ew. Yeah, I know, right? So we do start every episode off with a little something we like to call off the cuff, which is a question I'm going to come up with. I had it in the recesses of my brain. I'm going to share it with all y'all, and then you give me the first thing that pops in your head. So here in West Michigan, just a couple days ago, we had a pretty major thunderstorm, and thousands and thousands of people are out of power that leads me to this question what is the natural disaster that you're most afraid of not that it necessarily could happen here but what do you think would be the most terrifying natural disaster to actually to be in and experience for me i think it would be a tsunami a tsunami explain why tsunami well i've seen the pictures and the uh, video clips from a few years ago and just the devastation, the number of people killed, the the destruction of the towns and houses. Those tiny little white cars floating around. Yeah, like just they're... swept away by the, the power of the wave. 
All right, there is actually a movie called The Impossible, I believe, with Naomi Watts, and it is about the tsunami that hit, uh, I believe, within the last 10 years. Yes. I don't know how they filmed it because so much of it, with all that water, it was amazing. Like, how do you film that? How do you, you can't CGI, CGI lots and lots of water. Um, I mean, parts of it you can, but I mean, the, the actual actors being in the water, it was just the phenomenal film. Very, uh, very good. It. You have seen it. I've so seen you it. know. You know. That's probably another reason I'm afraid of it, just the power of that film. Oh, man. It's just it's it's, a great film. It's terrifying. Yeah. You see that True water story, coming. too. Yeah. And you, mm-hmm. There's nothing you can do. No. You're not getting away unless you no. have a helicopter. Mr. Chad Cashman, how about you? I would say a, a giant meteor falling and plunging into the earth. A giant meteor. So we just recently watched Armageddon or Deep Impact or something? No. Why that? Because that would be the end all for everyone. Well, depending on the size of the meteor. Right. That's the size meteor I'm concerned about. Okay. You're talking world ending apocalyptic, you know, like. Yes. Yes. The end of the world as we know it. And I feel fine. Yeah. Goodbye. Goodbye. Like dinosaurs. Goodbye. Ah, Gotcha. Gotcha. I don't know why, but I think it goes back for me when I was a kid. And that's the tornado. And a couple of reasons why is because they, they can be very unpredictable. We had a tornado come through this general area about three years ago in the middle of the night, and it never triggered anything. There were no sirens. Nothing went off. You're sleeping. A hurricane, you generally know it's coming. Uh, earthquake, I think, is another. Like my, if my wife was here, she would probably say earthquake because that's also terrifying. And, like, how do you get away? But tornadoes could be incredibly devastating and just pop up very quickly and be very unpredictable about which way they're going to go. Well, even worse than a tornado yeah. is a sharknado. I knew I knew you no! were going to go there. No, I wish you had a sharknado sound clip for that. I mean, I that's pretty not. awful. I think this is the closest I got. Those are crickets. Possibly this one. You know, Craig and I have been already having a bit of a conversation uh, Chad had some stuff he needed to do for the radio station, and we got chatting about what we wanted to talk about on the podcast today. So we are recording this on July 8th. So just a few days ago, we of course celebrated the Fourth of July. I want to talk about um, I want to talk about patriotism and empire and America and Christianity and some of the pros and cons and those things becoming intertwined with each other and how that could be beneficial and how that can be dangerous. Uh, now I want, before we start on all that though, you were able to tell Craig or Craig, you're able to tell Chad a little bit about who you are, what's going on with your life. Give our audience a little bit of a summary of kind of who you are, what's going on with you. Sure. What you're about. I was a uh, senior pastor for 46 years, pastored uh, East coast, West coast and uh, here in Michigan. About a year and a half ago or so, I uh, stepped down from full-time pastoral ministry. I'm, I don't, I don't like the word retired. Uh, that literally means tired again, and I'm really not. <laughs> I'm still involved in ministry. Um, I've done some interim pastoral work for a church that was waiting on its new pastor. I do pulpit supply, um, teaching a uh, Bible class at uh, the local prison. So I'm doing a lot of different odds and ends of things that are keeping me busy. And I've heard a lot of people say that they're actually busier in retirement than they were when they were working full-time. I don't know if that's true with you no, or not. Not yet. Maybe it'll get that way. But well, uh. <laughs> That might be because they're actually doing things they enjoy. That makes sense. Well, yeah. I enjoy what I do. Yeah, I think you always have. The pastoral role is always a little bit different anyway because I, in my sure. experience as a pastor, I was never not a pastor. Mm-hmm. It's not just a sure. title. It's just like, yeah, you're a pastor. You're, you're potentially on call. Yep. You're always right. need to be on call in that's case right. someone needs you. 
Craig and I met, uh, we both are actors to some extent Mm -hmm. on a very amateurish level. And we met at a company called Master Arts Theater, which I think I've mentioned before. And I was cast as C.S. Lewis in the rendition of C.S. Lewis's book, The Great Divorce. Mm -hmm. And Mr. Pell was cast as George MacDonald. And so we were on stage for a majority of the play. And how many performances did we have? 16, I think, something like that. Yeah, we, we, re, we did it once, and then a year later they wanted to redo it. So That's right, I forgot that. So Yeah, we had a whole bunch of performances. Mm-hmm. It was crazy. So we got to know each other for quite a bit because we would have the time beforehand and uh, you know the intermission, so we had lots mm-hmm. of time to kind of just sit and chat. So as I followed Craig on Facebook and I, and I thought, this is a guy we got to get in here because of some of the posts that he's, some of the stuff he's throwing out there. And it kind of surprised me, Craig, honestly, because uh, in my experience, and I'm interacting, I interact with quite a few pastors in my life. And and for the most part, um, they're kind of cut from a similar cloth where they're kind of conservative and, uh, they, 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 there's certainly some differences, but there's a lot of similarities, and you kind of surprised me with some of the posts that you have in regards to the topic we're going to be talking about today. Really? Well, that surprises me that you were surprised, I guess, although I shouldn't, <laughs> although I shouldn't be, because some of the feedback from friends that I consider conservative, to use that term, um, was not always agreeable, so... So and that's a very <laughs> diplomatic way of saying that. It wasn't always agreeable. Yeah. Can you give me an idea of some of the things that they would maybe have issue with and felt like they needed to talk to you about? Well, during the, during the campaign, um, for example, um, I was neither a supporter of the Democratic candidate nor the Republican one. I finally voted. Right. But it took me a long time to make up my mind, whereas I found many conservative Christians in my circle very quickly jumped on the bandwagon for uh, the Republican candidate. I had a very, um, I finally voted for him to confess where I voted, but it was with reluctance, and I had a very difficult time coming to that position. I even considered not voting at all, because I don't see anything in Scripture that says we must vote to support a particular candidate. That's a privilege we have. Yes. But I think we're free to give up the privilege if we desire. Yeah, and it, it, certainly in this area became a very much a hotbed of arguments and uh, in very strong accusations that were being thrown out. And so yes. if you are, if you're listening and you are like, wow, I mean, I, I, I encourage you to just stay tuned because we're not here to trash any political party, any candidate. We're not here to dog the president or anything not like that. I get very upset when people are like, not my president. Um, if you said that under Obama, then you can't be mad at people saying that under Trump. So I don't like the, I don't like it when people are like, you know, I, I think there we need, we all should be on the same team to the extent we need, we need Trump to, to, to do a good job. We need whoever the president is to do a good job. And it's a very difficult position. So if you're really pro-Trump and now you're kind of mad because Craig said he voted for Trump with reluctance, stay tuned. If you're a big if you're a big Hillary supporter or way on the left, don't turn it off because he didn't like that candidate either. Just listen, 
we want to have a conversation about how this influences and affects us and so that we can have rational conversations about these things without yelling at each other or getting snarky or upset because we actually should be able to have conversations about these things. Absolutely. Do you, you have something you wanted to say? Oh, you're going to let me talk? Yeah, Carol's not here, so we now okay. have an... I mean, not that she takes up the space, but we only have three people here. So, yeah, I want to hear your I want to hear your point of view. Okay, so here's my point of view. Scripture tells us we need to be subject to our governing authorities. Right. Okay? Yeah. Scripture also teaches us that God is the one who appoints kings. Is that correct? Yes. yes. So no matter who is in charge, no matter who voted for whom, Donald Trump is president because God put him there. And if you're saying he's not your president, or if you said Obama's not your president, then you are going contrary to the will of God. Okay, so I'm going to open up a little bit of a can of worms here because I know some of you listeners, I know where you're going with this. I know some of you right where you're going, and I get it. Sizzle, sizzle. Sizzle, sizzle. So this is the comeback from this, and I think it's a very valid point. So, Chad, you're telling me that God wanted Hitler in power, and he wanted Mussolini in power, and God was like, you know who the man is for this job? It's Adolf Hitler. He's the guy I want. There's the danger in that theology. Well, did he want Nebuchadnezzar to rule over the Israelites? Did he want um, King Xerxes to rule over the Israelites? These are men who were also very bloody and very you know, violent within their leadership. I mean, Nebuchadnezzar burned people alive because they wouldn't bow down to a statue. Sure. Julius Caesar, well, Nero probably being the worst of the Roman emperors, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, Craig, I mean, so I'm not the one that you're saying, you're throwing that question to me, but that's the same question I'm asking to you. Okay, so let me give you my answer. Yeah. My answer is simply this. We are Christians. We're living in today. We're living and we see everything that's around us. We have to deal with everything that's around us. God is up in heaven dealing with everything all at once. We don't understand why he allows certain certain things to happen. We don't understand why evil gets away with evil. We don't understand all that, but God does. That's where faith comes in. So why was Hitler allowed? Not a clue, but maybe someday we'll find out. I think there's a different, let Craig chime in here, but I think there's a big difference between God saying, look, this is a fallen world. We have the whole problem of evil and free will and how that all plays out. And that gets, that's a challenging conversation. Those are great questions. I'm more of the camp of he allows us to make bad decisions and he allows us to put people in power because he was very clear he didn't want a king over Israel at all. And with Samuel, he was like, I'm going to let them. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. I'm going to allow them to make a king, even though it's a bad choice. Right. So I, I'm uncomfortable with saying, God, every leader that's ever been in a position of power, that was God's will. And he like wanted this to happen as opposed to he lets us make really bad decisions sometimes. Okay. So he let uh, the Israelites make a really bad decision, and that is correct. But yet he is the one himself who appointed King Saul. And he was the one himself who appointed King David. Mr. Craig. I think saying that God lets us make bad decisions, I believe that is so, Sure, doesn't absolve God of, of the guilt. I don't want to use that word. It's not the oh, right word. Of the responsibility, yeah. let me say that doesn't resolve God of the responsibility for the action because he permits it when he has the ability to stop it. 
Sure. So everything that happens, my conviction is, everything that happens is either directly the act of God or permitted by God, but is ultimately under his control. So does that mean that God is irresponsible sometimes? No. Irresponsible, did you say? I did. Uh, no, not at all. God God always accomplishes his purpose. Right. And so sometimes, so how can he accomplish his purpose by putting, allowing somebody to come to power who he knows is going to murder millions of people? That's something I can't answer. I think, though, Scripture, Scripture makes a clear statement. For example, you mentioned Nebuchadnezzar a few moments ago. The book of Daniel says that Nebuchadnezzar was caused to live as an animal out in the field uh, by God, and it says um, that God permitted this, or God caused this, until he, Nebuchadnezzar, acknowledged that the Most High God is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and sets over them anyone he wishes. Now, that's a clear statement mm. of God putting in positions of authority the people he desires. Why he puts those people in, sometimes it's to bless us, sometimes it's to chasten us. Mm. Which, if you ask me, we're going through quite a bit of chastening right now. <laughs> well, either one who would have won, yeah, we would have been going through some sort of chastening. Well, you know that it's an interesting point, Chad. I'm going to ask you. I'm going to go down this path a little bit farther. In what ways do you think we're being chastened? We had a reality TV show star who is now president of the United States. So how? Okay, but how is <laughs> he, that chastening us? How is that chastening us? Sure, it's I'm not pointing out to us how immoral we've gotten because leaders rise from among the ranks of the people. So if we have a Donald Trump as president or Hillary Clinton as a Democratic candidate, no matter how corrupt she was, she rose to power within her party and Donald Trump rose to power within her party because they are a reflection of what we are as a society. So do you think that, and ask you know, Craig too, well, do you have a response to what Chad just said on that or not? Well, I, I think that's true. Both of them gained the the uh, position of candidate right. by the support of, of the people behind them. So do you think that God allowed those two candidates because it's what we deserved? It's a form of chastening, allowing two what a lot of people would consider to be not great candidates. I think that remains to be seen as yeah. to whether or not our president is in fact a blessing or a chastening of our country. I don't think I'm able to make that to make that decision yet as far as what i can see right right uh, i know there are people who are very ready to applaud everything he does and others who are very ready to condemn everything <laughs> he does i don't think either side is right <laughs> yeah the polarization of of the church and i've actually talked to this with a number of different people the polarization is such a dangerous thing uh, my friend matt prentice who's been on the show a number of times uh just had a big facebook post about you know going to that one side and saying, you are not a Christian at all if you voted for just fill in the blank, and both sides do it. Mm -hmm. Another friend goes to church somewhere where it's more it's more liberal and more left-leaning, and they're like, you can't have been a Christian and voted for Trump. It's just not possible. Mm -hmm. And then there's a lot of people who, on the other side saying the same exact thing. If you voted for Hillary, you can't be a Christian. I, I just have, I have a big problem with that. I don't think that the extremism is, is hurting the church. That is why I've abandoned two parties. I'm not going to be a Democrat. I'm not. I'm going to vote whom I think is the best candidate. I don't care what party they're from. 
if they're third party, people right. can say you're throwing your vote away. Well, sure. Well, pff, but, yeah, but that's the, the point. But it's the only way to, for it to gain momentum of more and more people to get on board. So in America, we have the tremendous privilege to be able to vote for our president. Now, I have a friend of mine who grew up in Cuba and until she was 21 years old, and we might have her on the podcast. She's, she grew up in a very completely you know, communist re- regime, a dictatorship. Um, she got to vote for the first time when she was 18. She moved out of the country at 21, so she got to vote one time, one person on the ballot, mm-hmm. Fidel Castro. She walked out saying, Mom, that's not a choice at all. And her mom was like, "You shush, you can't say that. Because you could literally get in a lot of trouble. So meeting her, talking to her really helps me understand the privileges that we have as Americans. As we look at those privileges of what it means to be an American. And then we also have this whole weird marriage right now where so many, let's be honest, if you're going to say, do you think there's more people who identify as Christians within the left or more Christians who identify on the right? Who do you think is the bigger crowd? I won't make that uh, I don't judgment. mean I don't mean I don't mean like 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 we're we're judging, but I mean I'm just saying people would claim and say I I identify as Christian. Do you think there's more people in the right that identify as Christians or more people in the in the on the left, would you say? Are you talking about identifying as Christian? I'm just or saying. Actually I'm, just, I'm just saying. Raising my hand, I identify as a believer. It. I don't. I don't know the people. I can't judge whether they are not. But I'm just saying. Which side do you think has more people raising their hands, saying, "Yep, we're Christians. We're we're just as far I'm as." I'm going to probably numbers. say the right wing. Yeah, especially in this area, I think. Yeah, I would say that was true. Also, at least, uh, at least the evangelicals in the right who identify themselves as evangelicals are more likely to make that point or claim that that's the Christian perspective. Right. And, and that's kind of my point in that is I think that there's an overwhelming number of people who would, who use the title of Christian, especially evangelical. It's a good, it's a good, could you give us a little idea? What do you mean by evangelical Christian? <laughs> Boy, I don't know. Um, I even hesitate my, to call myself one sometimes. Why? Because I think the term has become so broad Mm. That it it ceases to have real meaning. Okay. Um, uh, so I I don't know how to define it fully. As I speak of myself or think of myself, mm-hmm. I am a a uh, a person who is committed to the Bible as being the Word of God. I believe it is the basis for life here and also for life to come, relationship mm-hmm. with God in eternity. Mm-hmm. I believe Jesus Christ is God's Son. I believe in His death, burial, resurrection for my sins. Gotcha. Um, to me, that's those are core issues, but for many others, the term evangelical, and there's room, I suppose, to include other things. Sure, okay, but not demand other things. So there's the distinction is including instead of demanding. I think so. So with those of evangelical Christians who are demanding things, what type of things do you think they're demanding? There are some, for example, who demand that if you are going to truly be a Christian, you must uh, make room for um, gay marriage, let's say, which has become a major issue in our country. Right. Um, you must make room for that because allowing that kind of love is an expression of the love of God. Right. So for them, their Christianity includes, includes that. And if you don't hold to that, well, you may wind up in heaven someday, but you're really not being a very good Christian down here. Interesting. So... It feels like in this area specifically, and it's funny because we 
Carol and I visited Seattle a couple of months ago, and it's just a much different it's a much different feel out there. And actually, we met Chad's son out there and had dinner with mm. him. That was kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a much more liberal era. And this side of the country, in this area specifically, is this pocket of very strong conservative Christians. Mm-hmm. And I grew up in a way uh, that, and I still know a lot of people that it feels like, and I've had people tell this to me, that you. There's no way you could be a Christian and be a Democrat. You can't. You can't. I support. disagree with that. Actually, I do also. Well, I, I and I'm an evangelical I, supposedly. I disagree with it 100. percent There seems to be this idea of we are a Christian nation, right? So there's this whole ideology. Of, I even contest that. Right, right, and I'm well, we are a Christian <laughs> nation. <laughs> well, I, right, right, right. So I, I'm going to just throw right. a couple things sure. out here, which I'm not saying I believe okay. this. Sure. But so there's this idea of we're a Christian nation. We have to bring America back to God. And that means we vote for Republicans. This is just my experience. And so they're saying, like, we need, there's, you can't vote for the left. You, American and Christianity almost become synonymous. So you, you can test, and you guys are both like, no, 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 I don't, I don't, I don't agree with that. So, so first off, let me say this. You know people like this, yeah? Sure. Know people like liberal, more no, 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 liberal? No, no, no. no. Uh, you know people who are like Christian, America, you know, guns. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, like you Republican. Can't, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Super strong Republicans. <laughs> yeah. Not all, yeah. And I don't want to throw all Republicans no, under no. the bus. I want to specifically challenge the notion on this, on this episode that Christianity and America are this almost the same thing and to be an American is like being a Christian and one kind of is the other. I want to I want to challenge that notion and talk about how that's dangerous. That's what I'm interested mm-hmm. in in that conversation over the next few minutes. So I've got a whole bunch of stuff swirling in my head. This idea that in order to be Christian, you, you know, and being an American means that you should be Christian and the whole idea of having empire and the comforts in that that we have in this the blessing and curse that it is to be an American. Those are some of the, the concepts and topics I want to talk to you about. Sure. So let's let's start with the whole idea of those. This, do you see in your experience this marriage and within a group of people of oh, this this weird marriage of Christianity and patriotism? Yeah, definitely. Um, sure, I think it's manifest in in many churches uh, by many Christians. And what are some of the chief ways you see that manifesting itself within the churches in ways that you believe are inappropriate? Yeah, for example, uh, I, am, I am an American. I love my country. I consider myself a patriot. But I don't believe that it's appropriate for the Sunday before the 4th of July to pledge allegiance to the flag and sing patriotic anthems in church. Why? It's very popular in this area. Oh, I know it all is. The time. I know it is. In churches that I've pastored, it's been very popular. Did you do it? I did it because it was the church's tradition, but I did it with some reluctance, and I modified it where I was able to. So did you explain to the people at the time why you were modifying it, or did you just kind of do it to ease your conscience? There was some explanation, okay. yeah, but okay. I also had a desire not to cause a disruption over it, and so sure. it was not a matter, let's say, for, uh, for preaching. Okay, so talk to me about why is that inappropriate in, in, from your worldview? Why isn't that a thing that we should be doing? The purpose of the church is to worship and promote Jesus Christ and to expand his kingdom in this world. Mm-hmm. All right? The scriptures teach that every believer is a citizen of heaven, first of all. 
primarily I'm a citizen of heaven, but then I am also a citizen here on earth. But my allegiance to heaven is to be primary. When I take my citizenship here on earth and bring it up and put it alongside my allegiance to heaven, almost in a way that that combines the two, I think I've lost the focus of what the church is about. But isn't America the best? Haven't we done... And I'm just doing devil's advocate here. Sure. Uh, but isn't America the best, the country that's been most successful at spreading the gospel? Aren't we God's chosen people? Haven't we replaced Israel as, as you know, and all that replace, replacement theology? Uh, the, the church today has replaced Israel, and America is the primary voice of the Christian message. Mm-hmm. Well, I think maybe we're talking about two different things here. Up, historically, up until now, yes. America has been most active and successful of all nations in spreading the gospel. That's in the process of changing. Right. In fact, more is coming out of Africa now in terms of evangelism. They're sending, than, they're sending evangelists here. Yes, than ever before. But that's, that's one issue. The other issue is replacement theology. Um, no, I do not believe America is God's chosen nation. I don't think there's anything in Scripture that indicates that. I do not believe we've replaced Israel in God's plans that God still has a purpose and a plan for Israel that will be fulfilled in the future. Yeah, I agree. So so tell me, what do you think it means to be a patriot? What does that word mean to you? I don't think it means my country right or wrong. Okay. I think it means I live in my country as a person living in a foreign land. My home is heaven, but I represent Jesus Christ here, and I live my life according to the principles of his word, and that betters my nation. So what type of allegiance do you think you owe America? I pay my taxes. I, I vote generally. I vote, although, as I said earlier, I almost did not vote this last election, but I vote. I am supportive of our, of our country. I support our military for the most part. Not all our wars, but I support our military. The soldiers, not the soldiers. Every, yes, absolutely, yeah. the men and women yeah, I yes, agree in with our that. military. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Yeah, so, so I am a patriot. Um, but I, I don't believe that America is God's chosen nation. We are blessed. There's no question about that. Right. But it's not because um, we have a special place in the program of God. I don't believe. So when does patriotism, and you, you touched on this a little bit, but I'm, I'm wondering if you could expound on it a little bit. When can patriotism start to get a little bit twisted and, and getting married with Christianity and faith? Where does patriotism start to go wrong when it comes to the Christian faith? I think I saw some of it in the, in the past um, election process where many Christians were insisting that if you were um, going to be both a, a good Christian and a good American, you had to vote. I don't necessarily believe that. Why not? I believe my responsibility as a Christian is to uphold the truth and the principles of the Word of God and to find a candidate that comes as close to those principles as I possibly can. If I'm unable to find that candidate, I don't believe I vote for the lesser of two evils, as some Christians were advocating. Somehow I can't imagine, had they had elections back then, Jesus ever voting for the lesser of two evils and rationalizing it as many Christians uh, seem to do. I put it on Facebook um, a couple months ago, as I want to do, about would if Jesus walking the earth in his physical form right now, and he could have voted, would he have voted? Not, I'm not interested in the conversation of who would he voted for. I'm interested in would he have voted at all? 
I don't know. He did say, my kingdom is not of this world, yeah. which indicated some separation from politics <laughs> of his day. Uh, so I don't know whether he would have voted or not. I do have a hard time believing, however, that he would have pledged allegiance. I have a hard time believing that Jesus would and would encourage his followers to pledge allegiance to the state, to pledge allegiance to, the, to whatever represented the Roman state, whether it was a flag or an eagle. I think Christians, the early Christians, would have been shocked at that because they saw themselves, yes, they lived in that culture, but they saw themselves as citizens of another world. And, and Paul, of course, had Roman citizenship, and so he was able to benefit in many ways. Yes. There was a lot of benefits that came sure. with being a Roman citizen, and there's Indeed. a lot of benefits that come along being a citizen of an empire, and yes. there's a lot of benefits and privileges of being a citizen of a global empire. Yes. The, the dominant kingdom empire of that day was the Roman Empire. Yes. Right? Yes. And so, you, and so now we talk about this. We don't call ourselves a Christian or our America. We don't call it an empire. But for me, it feels like there's this weird thing going on where Christians want to make sure that we're in political power and almost like we are going to make a Christian empire. I think what's happened is the church, and I'm speaking of the church broadly now in general, has failed in reaching our nation with the gospel. And so we've looked for a quick way to make a difference. And what's the quick way? Politics. If we can get enough people together, even a moral majority, they don't have to be all Christians, they just have to be moral. If we can get enough people together and get them all to vote as a block, we can force people who don't hold Christian values to live like Christians. What do you think of that, Chad? You cannot legislate morality. You can't, but we sure try. Well, we, we do. but we always legislate. Every law has some type of moral basis. And I want it. That's I'm really interested in that thought. But I want to go back a second to the whole idea that you guys very quickly responded like, "I don't believe there's such a thing as a Christian nation." I agree with you. Please just tell me why and why you say that. Uh, there's no such thing as a Christian nation. Because if we were a Christian nation, there would not be the freedom to practice religions other than Christianity, we wouldn't have freedom of religion. Everybody would have to be a Christian. And in addition to that, as we've had a guest on here before, a nation is not a person. It cannot profess a faith. Right. Agreed. Agreed. Craig, do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, I think... The fact of some recent um, legislation in our country indicates we've drifted far from biblical principles. And so how can we call ourselves a Christian nation when we, by law, legislate gay marriage, the possibility of it, mm -hmm. abortion, things that I, th I believe are directly contrary to the Word of God? You, you can't very right. well call yourself a Christian Yes, Christians can believe in those things, mm -hmm. but you, I don't believe you're living as a Christian, let me say it that way, according to God's principles, if you embrace those things. See, now I'm going to go flat out disagree with you about gay marriage because I do support gay marriage okay. for civil reasons. Okay. Um, I, I definitely have, it's a big struggle in my life as far as not, not necessarily, I'm not saying I'm struggling being gay, although I'm not saying that I would be ashamed if I was mm -hmm. um, because I know... I know people who are gay, and I know people who are gay, and that's not the path they necessarily would have chosen. But it's I understand who they, that. 
Absolutely. So my whole point of that, and I don't want to get too sidetracked by sure. this. My personal belief is I do support gay marriage because okay. there are certain civil rights I think they should be able to have the same way we do. And yes. that's why I'm like, yeah, absolutely. Of course, of course, of course they should be able to get married and be able to adopt and, and have health care and all those things. Sure. I agree with that. Yeah. But when it comes to the religious, I'm not for, hey, we're going to force churches to go outside an area where they're comfortable and every church has to perform um, gay marriages mm-hmm. because, you know, you know, I don't think we should ever legislate that or coerce. Yeah. C.S. Lewis, in fact, advocated two levels of marriage. One level that was under the control of the state for exactly such things as the benefits the state can provide. And then marriage according to the church. Right. And perhaps that is something that um, that our nation and could, I agree em- could embrace. Yeah. I agree with that because, you see, there's, there is two levels. There's the legal and then there's the spiritual. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So we look at the Constitution as, I don't know, I let me just use it metaphorically as a living, breathing document. Well, if the Constitution doesn't say something in particular, then we have to allow it to take place. And the Constitution does not define marriage as being between a male and a female. And with that said, the Supreme Court was correct to rule in favor of gay marriage, no matter how immoral a person might think that it is. Now, and again, I want to caution my listeners that some of you are probably getting upset right now. And I want you to do a gut check on that because I want you to think about why you're getting angry. Is it because you're hearing viewpoints that disagree with you? And if so, why is, I mean, there's something inside of you that's causing an emotional reaction for some of you, I know. And I want you to kind of consider what's happening internally right now and what's going on and what's fueling that because we're throwing our opinions out here and we actually would love your feedback. If you have something to say about these matters, please contact us because for me, this is a portion of my belief system that has changed a lot over the last 15 years and, um, and it's continuing to grow and, and, and want it to be shaped by truth. And I'm very much in the camp that all truth is God's truth, right? And I'm just, you know, God continually lead me to the point where I can have your heart in this matter and, and see through your eyes. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and, and sometimes, you know, it's, that view is not going to be a popular view, you know, but it should never be exclusive or uh, damaging or, you know, condemning of other individuals regardless of what they believe. So we were talking a minute ago about empires, and uh, you said we talked about the fact, and I agree 100%, empires coerce. And we, we have real good uh, information about the Roman Empire, and if they wanted you to do something and a soldier asked you to do something, there was no arguing. They had the ability to be the judge, jury, ex- executioner, and if you disobeyed them, they could kill you, mm-hmm. is my understanding. And they were not going to get in trouble for that because you needed to obey them. So empires course, we have, we're stronger than you, and, and the church has gone down those paths with things like the Inquisition and the Crusades, right? We have tried our hand. We've tried flexing our muscle, and we're going to spread the good news of God with the edge of a sword. And, of course, we don't Which do is that. very similar to what Muslims are doing today. Sure, we learned our lesson as a globe. No, no, we, 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 yeah. And when you get to the extreme of any religion and you get to the point where it's more important for me to be right and for you to agree with me, that's where we've lost 
uh, are thread, I think, regardless of what religion you believe. That's where it starts to get real dangerous. So if empires coerce, what does the kingdom of God do to get people to understand or obey? Because we want people to obey the teachings of Christ, right? I don't think we can cause people or force people to obey. Agreed. So we, don't, right. we don't force or coerce. What do we do? We present the truth of God, and it's the Spirit of God who brings a person to the point of belief and change. Apart from the interaction of God himself through the Holy Spirit, no change takes place. Agreed. Let's talk about, let's talk about Muslims. Let's talk about uh, people who are gay and are like, you guys are nuts. You guys are you're hateful. You're bigots. Uh, so I'm going to put all of them in a pile of people who say, you guys are crazy. I don't. I totally reject what you're saying. I'm. I don't. I don't want. So we're not trying to coerce those people. We've presented the truth, and they're like, you know, giving you two middle fingers, like absolutely not interested. So you got that spectrum of people who are super hostile to the point of people who are very respectful, but are still like, no, not interested at all. Sure. So we're not coercing them. Right. They've rejected the truth. What do we do with this huge, massive pile of people? I believe we continue to proclaim the truth and to love them. All right, what is That's that? That's key, yeah. Yeah, so what is that? Good word. What does that mean? What does that look like? When I love somebody, I want the best for them. For me, that includes their understanding of the truth, but I can't force that. That's up to God to bring about in their heart. So I continue to believe the truth myself, to live the truth out, and, and to love them, want the best in their lives for them. So, we may disagree about what the best is, Yeah, but... My understanding of what is best is what I want in their lives for them. So, again, this fictional group of people that I'm coming up with here when I go, go back to earlier in the podcast when I was talking about people who are, you know, like, you can only be a Christian if you're a Republican and things like that. And I get the feel for some of those people that the Constitution is almost on par with Scripture, which Chad kind of referenced a minute ago in the sense that, you know, I believe the three of us here in the room would agree that we do believe that scripture is living, breathing document, you know, inspired by God himself. And I think that there's some Christians who almost line the constitution up almost with the same reverence that they give scripture. The, the, the constitution is not based on scripture. I know a lot of people will disagree with it. Read the book, on the social contract by Jean Jacques. He's a French person. Ooh, Carol would like that. He is the guy who wrote a book that we base our constitution on. We did not base our constitution on scriptures. We based our constitution on what this man had put in his book, where he speaks about how the government is separate from people, but people are separate from the government, but the government has to reflect the people. He spoke against totalitarianism. He spoke against kings. He believed in elections. It's a pretty interesting book. I read it prior to the election mm. because I wanted to get an idea of the Constitution, what the Constitution really said. Mm -hmm. And the Constitution is based on that book. It is not based on Scripture. Craig, do you got something you want to respond on that? Not necessarily. Uh, the idea of the Constitution as a living, breathing document is is debated by many conservative evangelical Christians. Uh, the idea of living, breathing document indicates that 
they didn't get it all right, and there are changes that need to be made. Mm-hmm. Some Christians believe that that almost on the level of Scripture, right? This is absolute and cannot, should not ever be changed in any way, shape, or form. Two different viewpoints of the Constitution itself. What's your viewpoint? I don't believe it's on the level of Scripture. No, nor do I. Um, I think I think the Constitution allows change. The very fact of amendments indicate that the founders did not believe they had everything exactly right and that there would be changes that would come along. I don't think that we've necessarily handled the changes that we've made in our country, though, in a proper way, necessarily. Explain. What do you mean? Well, for example, um, when the United States Supreme Court legalizes gay marriage because they believe the Constitution permits it, and we could debate that whether it does or not, sure. um, that brought a change and that great a change in, in the way our country has conducted itself historically, um, I, don't think, uh, I don't think was appropriate. So you disagree with Chad and I to some extent then? Do you disagree with us, or do you agree on the gay marriage thing? That, like, civilly we should allow people to get married, even if they're gay, and give them the same rights. We're going off on a little bit of a rabbit yeah, trail. Yeah, we are, we are a little bit. Because as you said the thing about C.S. Yeah. Lewis, too, so I'm... I'm a, yeah. I, you get to believe what you believe, and I don't want to argue about it. I, yeah. It's not interesting to me, but yeah. just curious if, where you land on that. Um, if, if gay marriage had been brought up to a vote, uh, which it was not, but if it had been, I would have voted contrary to it because I believe it's contrary to the Word of God. Well, I but, have to step in and say that the the subject of gay marriage was brought up as a vote in a lot of states. Some people, some states agreed with it and allowed yes. it. Some didn't. Michigan was one of those that didn't agree yes, with it. That's correct. The Constitution overturned that. Right. So it was brought up in as. But I'm talking as a national. You're right. Referendum. Right. 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 Not a state. Yeah. But you're right, there were states, yes. but you're talking at the national level. Right, I'm talking at the yeah. national but level. But what about yeah. DOMA? The what? DOMA. DOMA? Yes. I don't know. Defense of Marriage Act? Bill oh. Clinton, 1990s? No, I don't remember that. Sorry, I'm not super political. <laughs> <laughs> DOMA pretty much categorized a marriage between... A man and a woman. A man and a woman. Hmm. And when that law was overturned, it opened up the possibilities of there being gay marriage. So what do we do with the people who are out there who I know some very, very close to me who this is a very upsetting idea that there's people saying, why can't I get married? I, I love this. Like you said, I love mm-hmm. this person. Some people would absolutely put that underneath the love of Christ and love of God and say it's just an extension of that. And some people are like, I reject your God completely. I don't care what you say about that. How can you stop me from doing something I want to do? I should be able to have the same rights you do. Mm-hmm. You just don't happen to agree with who I want to marry. So yeah. what business do you have who I marry? Uh, I, I don't expect our, our country, which I consider to be made up prime. This, again, is pure opinion on my part. Right. We're not, we're not saying yeah. we've looked at all I don't. I don't consider our nation to be a Christian nation. Right. right? And so I don't expect our non-Christian nation to live according to Christian principles. It doesn't surprise me when gay marriage is is legalized. I think there is room for a state-recognized marriage, if you will. Okay. But as a pastor, all right, I'm not going to perform those ceremonies. As a pastor, I am not going to permit those who believe that this is proper and all right to be leadership in my church. 
because my, my biblical, and I believe my beliefs are biblical, I think they are, my understanding of Scripture does not support that. Right. So there's two levels here, okay. all right? Okay. As a Christian, I'm committed to the Word of God, and I will live by it. But if the state says two people can get married, that's the law. But as you're saying you would vote against that, then I are, would. are you not trying to coerce people into your viewpoint with through the power of an empire? Sure. But if, I'm, if I have the opportunity to vote, I'm going to vote according to biblical principles. I see. Always. I see yeah. what you're saying. Yeah, I get your, yeah. I get your viewpoint. Yeah. Um, so years ago, we used to have, and it, was, it feels like, and again, uh, I'm not saying I've, again, guys, I'm sorry, I haven't done all these types of research, and I'm not going to be able to point you back to the studies. But my viewpoint is, is that years ago, it seemed like a majority of Christians, like back the 50s and the 40s, were, we are separate. We are for the kingdom of God. We a lot of them wouldn't vote at all because it's mm-hmm. like not you know not my monkeys, not my circus um, type of a thing. Now there has been a big shift in that, mm-hmm. and I want to get an idea of when do you think that shift started to happen? I have some ideas, but I, I think I know the why. But I'm curious as to when do you think that started to happen, and why do you think that started to happen for for both of you? Well, for me personally, and I'm only basing it on a simple perspective, not necessarily any store, any sort of study. But I would say in the 50s, when in the 60s, when we began to lose the right to have Bible studies in schools, prayer was banned in schools, and we as Christians probably sat back, and I'm assuming this was like I wasn't alive then. Um, we looked back and we saw we were losing the influence we had in the country. We were beginning to see the country move away from our Christian beliefs, and we felt we needed to do something to intervene. The best way to intervene, I mean, unless God sends a big, huge revival that shakens the entire nation, the best way is to have leaders rise among us and have them get into politics where they can affect legislation. But again, isn't that coercion? Yes. Okay. I do agree with that. Do you agree with that movement? It's logical as to why they did it. I can understand, like, oh, like you said, da 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 da. We gotta, we gotta, we gotta affect change. Well, um, the Bible says, "Let the redeemed of the Lord say so." Okay. You don't so, just sit there and remain silent. You have to stand up for what the Bible teaches and the biblical principles. Okay. So that's where. So you would you say that was a good move that they started to do these things? Was yes, that, I think it slowed down the slippery slope. I think we would be worse off if Christians didn't stand up. So you're for the coercion then. You're for you're you're saying that I don't have much of a problem with Christians kind of joining. Why do you call it coercion? Well, coercion coercion makes it sound like it's wrong. No, it's it's a it's forcing. It's it's, it's when anytime you're establishing a law, you're forcing people to do a certain thing or allowing people to do a certain thing, and if you don't, then we have the right to back it up. And either we can enforce okay. it. So those people on the other side of the spectrum do the same thing. Sure, of course. So why not just call it politics? Because that's really what it is. Well, and politics is all about coercion and, and force and might. And so, um, so I, I guess in that respect, yes, I do support the coer- coercion. I do. Okay. Um, yeah, think I, I, I do not. Um, yes, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. But... What does that mean exactly? Say so when and where and how. Uh, Does it mean uh, organized politically 
and try and pass biblically-based laws and force non-Christians to live as Christians. I don't think so. I, think, I don't think you can really do that. Um, I think, again, I mentioned this a few, a few minutes ago, I believe the church in America has greatly failed to do what God has left us here to do, mm-hmm. and that is to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ so people are changed from the inside out and begin to live according to the word of God. Failing to do that, we became panicky and said, what are we going to do? Our nation is going downhill. We've got to do something. And rather than becoming more evangelistic and sharing the gospel, we became political and said, if we can get a big enough voting block, we can force this thing. Uh, Personally, I believe the moral majority was one of the worst things that could have happened to this country. How come? Because it says morality is the important thing. And it doesn't matter whether you're Jewish or Christian or Buddhist or whoever you are, if you hold to certain morals, that's what we want to have to promote in this country is morals. No, no. I'm much more interested in promoting the gospel, which will change people's morals eventually. But isn't the gospel based on morality, or is morality based on the gospel? Morality is based on the gospel. The gospel is that I'm broken by my sin, I need redemption, I need forgiveness that God has provided in Jesus Christ. And when I receive that by grace, through faith, the Holy Spirit comes to indwell me, and I start to change. I can understand that perspective, but I see it from a parent's perspective. You want to leave your child in a world that is beneficial to your child, that is safe for your child, that is makes your child's life easier than yours. So it's more than just standing up for a moral majority because we want to force people who are not believers to believe the way we do. We want to create a safe environment for our children. So let me ask you this. Is it more important to you that your kids are safe, and which we all want, of course. We all want our children to be safe. But And, and these don't necessarily have to be in opposition to each other. But this is another idea that, I, that, I, that I'm thinking about of sometimes. So first let me say this. Do you think America is an empire? Well, I guess it depends on how you define empire. It is certainly a major, if not the major, world power. Agreed. Agreed. Um, and I'm not, I mean, it is what it is. It's a country, and I think there's, again, I'm an American. I'm, 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 there's many privileges of being an American, which I'm very happy about. Are there disadvantages? Well, Chad, do you think America is an empire? No. Okay. Uh, why not? I think it's very influential. I think we Absolutely. are a world power, but when you define an empire, we don't qualify. What, what, how would you define empire? When I think of empire, I think of something ruled by a king or an emperor okay. with totalitarianism. Okay, sure. We are a republic who, though indirectly, the people vote for their leaders. And, and again, don't get me wrong, I'm glad I live here. <laughs> you know. But then I also think, um, and this is where I was going a minute ago, Chad, and I love the ability we can have this conversation and not agree and, and be able mm-hmm. to talk about it without, sure. you know, somebody storming out of the room yet anyway. Um, <laughs> just kidding. We talk about, so let's take, let's take the country of China, for instance. Um, or let's take uh, even, let's say, a, a Muslim believer, uh, someone who, you know, not a Muslim Christian, some, you know, someone who's strictly Muslim. Don't most religions thrive under persecution and pressure more so than 
an open, tolerant system. And so is it more important to you for your kids to be safe or is it more important to you for your kids to be strong believers? But don't those two kind of go hand in hand? Isn't it possible creating a safe environment will allow them to become strong believers? Potentially. I think you have the cart before the horse. I think we need to raise children who are strong believers, who can resist the sin that's always going to be the, in the environment, who can live moral, godly lives, and as that body grows, as the Church of Jesus Christ grows, the world becomes more safe. You don't make the world safe first and then try and grow the church. That's the cart before the horse. So, I, oh, from, so from what I'm hearing then, we're supposed to just allow a moral decline in this country and make the assumption that that's what's best for our children. No, no. not at all. No, no, I, no, I don't think so. Not at all. We, if we're, trying, we're trying to make what's best for our children. We're going about it in the wrong way. So we, we, let me interrupt a second. I feel like we have the same goal in mind. We, 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 we both want the same thing, right? Sure. We're, both, we're not like, hey, no, I don't want my kids to be safe. It's a matter of the how do we get there? What path do we travel? For example, I don't want the Bible and prayer in schools. Yeah, neither do I. That's a terrible thing to say, and maybe many people are upset by my saying it, but it becomes the question then, who's going to teach the Bible? Just anybody who says they're a Christian? Which is super dangerous. Or are you going to say, well, we'll let everybody have a day. Who's going to lead in prayer? Just any old prayer is okay, so we're going to have a Christian, and then we'll have an imam, and because it's prayer is the important thing. No, a a prayer sa- is not or the a important Satanist thing. Or Satanist, you know, or sure. whatever. So that whole idea, what's happened is parents have failed to teach their children the Word of God and lead their families in prayer. In the home. In the home. Yeah. And so they want it in the schools where someone else will do it, or they want it only, you know, it's the church's responsibility to do it, and they have given up their responsibility as parents. If parents would raise their children and point them in the direction of the Lord and answer their children's questions and be involved in their education, I think we'd see the kind of changes that we want to see. Not, not just superficial, let's have Bible and prayer in schools. I don't think that accomplishes the goal. So are you, when you say that, are you speaking of a class or a, a school-led? Because I don't have a problem with their Bible being optional Bible studies and optional prayer meetings at schools, you know, but like you said, letting anybody teach a Bible class is very dangerous. And how, how in our society are we going to limit it to just the Christians who believe the way we believe? Right. Well, we can't. So And so we but, open the Pandora's box. But we allow people, say, from our churches to conduct these Bible studies and create a safe environment for our children to be able to go into the school and study the Bible. Yes, other religions are going to step in. Yes, you know, other sects, sects. S-E-C-T-S. We got it. We got it. Of our faith that you may not necessarily agree with are going to be there. So you're just saying have it in school as a place to meet. As, say, maybe an extracurricular activity. But not as a class taught by somebody who may not have had any religious 
influence at all growing up, and it's just to them a subject like math. And you'd be fine with them having the Koran as as an extracurricular activity, or a Wiccan, or you know, a, a hint, someone who's Hindu, or because if you open the door, because especially in our very now, especially like a like take a city like Chicago, you probably wouldn't have a ton of this in in West Michigan, but let's say New York, Chicago, L.A. Once you say that this is a group that can meet here. You can't say, of course, that it can only be the Christians that can meet here, right? And now we right. got to open up for Scientologists and, and anything and everything, right? Right. And are you okay with that? Are you saying, yeah, let's open the door and allow all that to have groups if they want to in this safe environment? Is this country not made of freedom of religion? Unfortunately, yes, freedom of religion can be a negative thing. Do we want to make it that easily accessible? to all the children in the school to decide that they are going to go to the Wiccan class because that's what we're doing when we offer it. We make it easily accessible that's to true. them, it whereas they may never go otherwise. But it already is but not be that way. It'd be much, much more accessible yeah. if there's someone, hey, we have, um, and I apologize if you're Wiccan and listening to this, I'm not, I don't mean to pick on you, but uh, I don't even know if this is the right term. A Wiccan priest or priestess is like, hey, um, we know you're interested in kind of more magic stuff. We have a class. This is a person who knows what they're talking about. Come listen to them. They do this. They do this thing every Thursday night after school. We want you to come listen and hear like some really uh, passionate, articulate people sharing their faith or whatever their their ideology with your children. And they're like, yeah, I'll check that out because my buddy's going and it sounds kind of cool. And they got a real charismatic person there. Yeah, but I mean, do you want that? possibility that's much it's different than already them. there not Look, in school it's not where is it where are is, you kidding me you can't that? have a kid who is a wiccan in a, a class trying to influence his friend to come with him that's already there but not at school yes at that? school so they're they're already holding classes at school no they're that's not i'm, I'm talking about extracurricular activities you're talking about somebody being there to influence. I'm telling you, somebody already is there well, to influence. Yeah, I, I sure. know that the influence is there. I'm saying that that's, there's a big difference between another 15-year-old knucklehead saying, hey, I, let's come on, do this thing. You know, it's going to be great. And then as to opposed to somebody who's articulate, charismatic, logically reasoned out, presenting this on school grounds. Okay, let me be bold and say if a 15-year-old can't be charismatic in your mind, you're kind of being naive. That's not the point, it's though. The we're, point still mi- we're still missing the point here. The point is making it easily accessible. Yes. Of course, of anybody can invite somebody else to come to their church, whatever the church is, and they can represent their church. But when it's right there on campus, and we're going to do this right after school today, and it's just down the hall, you're making it ex- very easily accessible to kids who otherwise may not go at all i i think you got to admit that there's a different level between i'm not saying 15 year olds can't be charismatic sure. of course they can i i, I know 15 year olds that are charismatic but they're not going to have the same influence and level as an adult will a fellow 15 year old is going to have a level of influence on their friend where an adult that they know and respect is going to have a whole other different level of respect and influence so anyway as we're kind of arguing semantics there <laughs> uh, a little maybe we've bit. gotten a little away from the subject for me, it's the idea of, Craig, I think you nailed it, is the idea of we're trying to change people from the inside out, not the outside in. Um, I do think that America has some elements of empire in it, and I think we need to be very careful in marrying ourselves as Christians to the American flag and the American faith, not to disparage America 
because there's one many wonderful things, but I also think that there are some drawbacks to having all this liberty. And sometimes I don't know that that's the soil that breeds the the strongest Christians, because we totally eliminate the whole portion of suffering. We don't have mm-hmm. to suffer at all ever. We're never under persecution, really. I mean, there's it's not always easy or fun, but we don't know what persecution is in here in America. I don't want to be persecuted. Right, I don't want to suffer. I'm 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 fat and lazy, and I like it that way. But I, I know that there are some believers that take their faith much more seriously because of it's it's a life or death thing. Much of Christianity today is presented as through faith in Jesus Christ, you can have personal peace and prosperity. And who does not want personal peace and prosperity and ultimately to go to heaven too? And who and why do most people come to America for, for personal peace and prosperity? Yes. And sure. there's and that's okay. Absolutely. I'm not saying I don't yes, want it, but I'm saying that's not that when you look at the when you look at the apostles in the New Testament, I don't see that they tried to change the government. They took advantage of privileges they had. Sure. Jesus paid taxes. Paul used his advantage as a Roman they citizen. They used the roads to travel, sure. the ships. Sure. Yeah. But they they presented a gospel that was world-changing, and yeah. that was their focus. And we're not really, are we? We're not. I think that's where we're failing, is we don't believe it's world-changing. We don't believe that's the calling of the church, is to focus on the gospel to change the world. I'm not sure that sometimes, in my personally. I think I need to get my grasp around, you know, in a way, I don't mean this literally, but it almost it's almost like forget world changing. I need it to be more life changing. Sure. Right? And that's I where need it starts. It, yeah, exactly. My world, your world. My world, my world. When yeah. I get it and when I really embrace it and live it, it will become attractive to other people because other people will be like, wow, you know, there's something happening here that I want to be around this person, which is what they did with Jesus. Even whoever it was, other than the Pharisees, were like, I want to be around this guy. I really, I, there's something about him that really resonates with me, although he does say some hard stuff sometimes that I don't get. We're going to have to wrap it. I know it's kind of, we're in the middle of this conversation here. Um, unless, Chad, is there something else you want to specifically go after right now and kind of go for a few more minutes? Is there something you'd like, you think we need to kind of dig into a little bit more? I think we should continue. I think it's a good conversation. I think if we cut it off. Okay. And then come back to it later. Yeah, it feels it's gonna not have the same. So I wonder this. So I'm gonna go. I'm gonna talk for a few minutes here, and I'll let you guys have a chance to respond. So I think I wonder. One of the questions that I ask ask myself, and so to, to preface before my question, I do believe that there's a literal Satan. I believe in a literal enemy. That this is a spiritual entity that exists that is bent on our destruction. So one of the things I've asked myself: Is it possible for Satan to learn? Can he's not omniscient, he's not omnipresent. So is it possible for him to learn and get smarter and change his tactics? I think yeah, possibly. So back in the time of Rome, it was more like he was using this hammer to like I'm trying to crash, crash all this and crack this through just brute murder and horrible things. And now it seems like it's much more nuanced. We're all civilized now. An empire wouldn't work in today's day and age. So now what I would call the empire of America. And again, I'm glad I'm American, but it's much more subtle, right? Because the main goal is still to use power to convince and convert. Mm-hmm. And if you we don't convince and convert you, then we will make you pay the consequences either by being excluded or being imprisoned or whatever it may be. 
Um, and so that's where I feel like America is a much more subtle form of empire, which is why I think it's insidious and dangerous for Christianity to marry itself to this empire and go like, yeah, we totally buy this message mm-hmm. of we need to change it from the outside in. It's just a more subtle, this is strong, but in a way it's almost a more subtle form of the Crusades. The, the, the real strong religious, the moral majority, we're going to get our senators in place, and it's not that we sit back and allow everything to happen and the world to go to hell, you know, and, and you know, I mean the literal place, not use it as a swear. No, we're not supposed to just sit back and watch the world go to hell. We are supposed to make a difference, and we're supposed to influence, and, but we do it from more of a, as my friend Daniel Coons would say, a grassroots level rather than making sure we get the right people in power and right for the, vote for the right people, because that's not our empire. That's not our kingdom. We're in it. We should participate in it, but it's not our primary focus. It is not how we're going to change things. Rant over. What do you think about that? I think unless there's a change of the heart, that trying, to, trying by power to put down evil, as we conceive of it, whatever we conceive of as evil, Trying to put it down by power without a change of heart is kind of like playing, uh, you know, that, that old game where the gopher pops up in the hole and you yeah, hit him on the head. Whack-a-mole. Whack-a-mole, yeah. yeah. You know, all right, so you hit him on the head here and he goes down, but he's going to pop up somewhere else in a different form. And you better be ready with that club. Unless there's a change of heart. Otherwise, you're just squashing that evil here for a moment. But the heart, which Scripture says is deceitful above all things and desperately evil, is going to manifest itself in another way, another shape, another time. That's why historically certain issues rise to the surface at certain times, mm. but they aren't ongoing throughout history. Well, and it reminds me of like the Pharisees saying, well, if we're going to play the whack-a-mole game, to borrow your analogy, we, then we need to get these things to keep popping up, so now we need more people with more clubs, and then we're going to need bigger clubs. Yeah. And I don't see that as being the way of Christ. I, I don't either. Okay. Well, what I need to say is I need to clarify where my positions are. No, absolutely. I, I, I want Because that. I think that people see me all over the place. I do see you as all over the place. And I, I love you. I am. Okay. Because, for starters, I believe in standing up for what's right. Yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. So on Facebook, sometimes I'll stick up for Trump and then turn around and rag on him on the same sentence. <laughs> because... You will. Because... It's a matter of what's right and what's wrong. Yes. Okay, so if somebody's unjustly uh, accusing him of something, I'll point it out. But if he did something unjust, I'll point it out. So let me uh, clarify where my position is on today's conversation. Okay. I see it two ways. I see it that we as a church are trying to save lives, so to speak, on two different levels. Right. We're trying it the political way. Now... We never once mentioned the kind of policies that we are trying to oppose that we see as threatening to our society. And so we feel like the only way we can do something about it is by affecting the law. Namely, one of those is abortion. I cannot vote for anybody pro-choice because Mm -hmm. of where I stand on abortion. I see it as a critical issue that's affecting our country. I think that if you cannot protect the littlest of the children, I can't trust you to, to protect an adult. It goes across the board. But yet at the same time, I agree with you guys. We need to change a heart. And the best way to change the heart is to actually be there for those people 
at their level, no matter what they are thinking, no matter what they believe. We need to influence the world for Christ. My fear is that we've, as evangelicals, have gotten so caught up in the political that we are forgetting about the spiritual. We are so caught up in the nationalism and the patriotism that we're forgetting that there's a neighbor of ours down the block who is suffering and they need help. We need to be there for people at a personal level and not so much a national level. And I think we're forgetting that. I think what we need to do, and it's important, is... um and a friend of mine, again, Matt Prentice, was, was on Facebook the other day saying, and he started a very long conversation of, we got to stop letting political things divide us in the church because if that's not our primary kingdom, the political world is important. I, and I do believe we should have Christians in politics. You know, I don't think we should just abandon the arena. I'm not mm-hmm. saying that. Um, but allowing these political divisions to divide the church, I think, is is deadly and i think it's wrong i do as well and but i think that's a reflection of our nation agreed the the opposing party are not just people who love america with different opinions they are the enemy who need to be crushed again we're talking again about coercion power and might but this is politics and so when you get actually get in office whatever the republicans propose you're against whatever the democrats propose you're against they can't work together they won't right because the other side is the enemy and they're not just wrong they're evil yeah exactly and so who suffers the nation and that gets to be a hard point because when you're in the church and you have one side voting once you got a group of people voting one way very passionately and the other group voting another way very passionately and now they're starting to view the other side and that their kingdom becomes the kingdom of politics in america and then they're starting to see, well, you're not even a Christian at all, which we, you know, kind of circling back to that as we started this conversation. And, and people, we got to stop. Yeah. I, um, I have befriended African-Americans. Um, I even bragged once to one of them. It's like, you know, I have more African-Americans. I know my cell phone number than ever my whole <laughs> life. You are Mr. Multicultural right there. <laughs> not really, but... I'm kidding. But the, I'm but the point is this. Yeah. Listening to their stories... Listening to what they go through, yeah, I get it now. I know why mm-hmm. they vote Democrat. I respect that. They're not thinking the same way we are thinking. Yeah, my convictions are one thing. Their convictions are another. They have one issue that's more important than I have. So politically, we butt heads. But you know what? That does not stop me from befriending them. It does not stop me from influencing them for the gospel and vice versa because these people are also Christians they want to influence and they want to encourage me. Right. So, and, and what prompted the change? What Why, prompted what, this change? What changed in your heart? What changed in my heart is hearing their stories. Exactly. Mm-hmm. In which, based on you were around them and you built relationships with guys like right. J.R. Pittman. J.R. Pittman, Coach D, and more. Because these people tell me what they went through. Mm-hmm. One of them mentions to me that he goes to his doctor and there's another doctor in the office who says hi to his nurses and says hi to another patient, doesn't even look him in the eye. Yeah. And it's like, really? Wow, I don't experience that. Well, I mean, if I do, it's not for any other reason except maybe that person doesn't like me. Sure. But it's not usually because of race. Right. So I don't experience what they experience, but now that I know, I get it, and I have more compassion for them. And that has brought me 
so much away from a typical evangelical and more towards a, being a centrist that I get it now. I feel like we don't really understand. I think we undervalue the power of love and relationship. It's gotten to be such a cliched thing to say. And we just, we discount the power we have as one individual to have influence. And so when we start to love and have relationships and understand and see through someone else's eyes that before, maybe 10, 15 years ago or whatever, you would have been like, nah, it's not a thing. It's not okay. Then you start to see, hear hearts then we start to become changed. And when we start to become changed, that's when I believe we can really have that influence as well. And people will listen to us. You have to earn the right. Most Christians, even if they don't know any African-Americans would agree that we should certainly love them and accept them. And, you know, they have, there's no differentiation as far as level of respectability between whites and, and blacks. But it's another thing, for example, when we come to the whole issue of gay. Most Christians mm-hmm. look at what they do as being sinful. Yes. They and do. so that becomes then some, they become people to oppose. They become the enemy. Not to sit and listen to their story, not to get to know them and believe they have a story to tell, but we just oppose them at every turn we possibly can. And so there's an area where I think the church needs to change. I'm not saying that every, that every Christian should, should say that, yes, homosexual practice is fine. What I am saying is every Christian should be willing to sit down next to their gay neighbor and have a hamburger and listen to them and listen to their story without trying to change them at first. Well, you let God do the changing because yes. you can't change. I mean, him don't anyway. even bring the gospel at first. You know, the point is, or maybe ever, maybe, maybe ever, it's not your job. Maybe, uh, maybe it will be. Maybe, maybe it won't. But the yes, yeah. exactly. The We're point weaker. is not to put a not- notch in your Bible. You know, <laughs> but uh, but we don't do that. You see, it's it's good and it's right to accept those who are African American. But when it comes to those who who do things that we believe are sinful. Well, we distance ourselves as far as we possibly can from them, even to talking to them. Well, first of all, back to the African-American Christian versus the white Christian. That is true for a white Christian to a point. Yes. Once they realize that this other person is opposed to them politically, the walls <laughs> come uh-huh. up fast, yep. quickly, yep. and you're missing the point. Yeah. And then to, to touch up on the, the, um, the issue of homosexuality and gay marriage, we had a neighbor, a lesbian couple. I had a very difficult time with them because they had a gay flag um, with stars and stripes. So instead of the stripes being... Just the rainbow colors. Yeah. The rainbow colors. And that yeah. offended me. But yet at the same time, when we talked to them, because we always try to have the mindset of showing the love of Christ, and when we talked to them, they had adopted children. Well, I'm supposed to be opposed to that too. But then when I found out where these children came from, they are actually in a better (laughs) position than they are right now. So, I mean, that is, it's like, oh yeah, yeah, I just opened another can of worms. Okay, so. No, I I, I love your point though, because it says when you, this is something I'm trying to change in my life. So, you know, really right-wing, white, conservative Christian boy growing up in West Michigan, 
having real strong opinions about things, real, you know, I know why things are, I know why I believe what I believe. And then my world gets shattered through a number of different reasons, which I've shared before. I'm not going to go back into now. And so much has changed and shifted in my life. And now I'm trying to go, I, you know, I probably shouldn't have a real strong opinion on something unless I have a face and mind when I think of that subject. So I work with someone who is Muslim. And before, before I met this person, I didn't know anyone who is Muslim. I didn't have a face attached to this issue. And it's not like she represents all of that faith, but at least now I have a face involved. And I can think of this person when I think of people talking about who Muslims are and how they are and what they believe and what they're like. I'm like, well, I know this person and those, a lot of those adjectives, don't, they, don't, they don't fit this person at all. Because now I have a story and a heart and a face behind an opinion that before, and it, a lot of times that'll shatter the opinion, like, oh, uh, that's a great point, Chad. <laughs> well, there's more to that story. I'm sorry I interrupted. Please continue. Yeah, shame on you. I know. Um, we bought the, the girls that they had adopted, we bought them gifts. And that opened a door for them because they not only did they not look at us as a typical Christian, who opposes everything that they believe in, yeah, like they looked saying. at us as somebody that they could talk to and confide in, who they knew cared for us, and knew that we cared for the yes. children that they adopted. Because you're an ally we now. opened a door. Yes. In addition to that, I had a, I went through a very difficult time with my mother passing away. Yeah, They mowed our lawn for us. How beautiful. So there was yeah. just like this yeah. neighborly love between yeah. a strong evangelical Christian family and lesbian neighbors who adopted children that lasted beyond even when we moved away from them. But who did Jesus hang around? Who hung around Jesus? The outcasts, the people pushed to the margins, loved to be around Christ. And they, the, the worst of the worst of the worst of that day were tax collectors. I don't even think we have a social equivalent of what tax collectors are now. Maybe pedophiles that yeah, they were universally hated by everyone in that day. Everyone thought these guys are garbage. And Jesus is like, no, these are my friends. And he totally flipped everything on his head. And it didn't make sense to so many people like, so what are you a sinner now, Jesus? Cause all you do is hang around sinners. So you must be a glutton and a sinner. Right. And, he, and they just didn't get it. And we still don't get it. And I, I, I think, and I've offended somebody saying this before. And I think I may even said this on this podcast is, if Jesus were walking the earth today, yeah. he would not be at a mega church preaching. He'd be in a gay bar. He'd be in a gay bar. Because it is not the healthy who need a doctor, it's the sick. He would not be in a mega church selling books in the narthex and, you know, conducting yeah. a this is how you should live conference. He would be out there in the streets with the people who are lost. He would be building relationships with them. That's where we need to be. And we're not. And we're not. I'm not enough. I think one of the problems many Christians have is that we do not understand grace. Hmm. Well, explain how that fits in with this. I agree with you, but help, yeah. help tie, tie those together for me. A, a true Christian, I think a Bible-believing Christian, believes, as Scripture says, that we're saved by grace through faith. It's a gift of God, not of works. We don't earn it. We understand. We don't merit salvation. We don't deserve salvation. But we still, as Christians, I think, sometimes hold too high an opinion 
of ourselves that causes us to look down on others who maybe don't know the Lord and to look down upon their sin as somehow they're worse than we ever were and we're where we are because we're better than that. We're where we are by the grace of God, not anything that we've done and manufactured and produced in ourselves. And so how dare I look down my nose at somebody else? What did Paul say about himself towards the end of the life? Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. And that's just that's not just hyperbole. You know, a lot of people are really happy to say, yeah, you know, Paul was the worst sinner there ever was. That's one of what are called in some of Paul's letters a faithful saying. Mm. There are several of them. And as I understand it, those faithful sayings were mottos, if you will, of the church. Right. Every believer should look at themselves and at Jesus and say, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. I know you're a sinner, Dave, because the Bible says you are. <laughs> it's but I'm, true. But I'm the worst sinner I know. And I'm the worst sinner I know. Yeah. And I don't look. Da- I can't look down my nose at anybody. When we get to heaven someday, I think we're going to be surprised at who we see there. Well, that's the common refrain, right? But well, well but, but it goes more. Yeah. I think we're going to e- equally, if not more, surprised at who's not. Yeah, that's the scary part. Yeah, and I think it's going to be interesting. Although. You know, our eternity is actually going to be the new earth, not heaven. But that's another topic. We won't actually live eternity in heaven. We'll live it on the new earth. We won't try and change your theology today. <laughs> At least I won't. Well, that's all right. I'm, I'm Must just, you, Dave? I'm just, I know. I'm just, Why can't I have a powerful point it was without you just throwing some yeah, bullcrap doctrine up? <laughs> just you're, you're hilarious. You're funny. So we've chatted a lot. How do we how do we how do we change this in our own lives and how do we affect change in others? Personal relationships. So seeking out others. Seeking out well, first of all, let's start with the obvious. Your personal relationship with Jesus Christ, your devotion to God's word, which will lead you and direct you as you develop relationships with people you may not think about developing relationships like god forbid that a rich man have a relationship with a homeless guy god forbid that a straight man have a relationship with a gay god forbid a white man evangelical have a relationship with a guy a black guy in a small black church or somebody who you would call quote unquote ghetto all right i like that i absolutely agree i salvation we're saved as individuals right and that's the way the gospel spreads is from individuals. From, yes, right. sometimes through you know mass evangelism or whatever. But that's still happening to individuals. It's still. And so it, I, I agree with you entirely. My relationship with Jesus Christ needs to be the most important thing I Amen. seek every day. Yes. Because everything else flows out of that. Mm-hmm. And if that, in fact, is, is healthy and growing, I'm going to be the person he wants me to be, and he'll use me in the situations that he wants me to be in to bring that gospel to others. So, Pastor Craig, what is a prayer someone could pray? So just give us a little bit of an example, because we know that we believe in the power of prayer, and so what's something that someone could pray to help them change, or, you know, based on the conversation we've had, what's something maybe they could say? It's a difficult question for me to answer. I don't want to give just, okay, here are a few words no, that, sure, that sure, you sure, can sure. pray. Here's something you can ask God I'm for. I'm taking more of the heart behind yeah. the words. You what, know. 
what I what I find changes me the most in my in my devotional life. Let's say it that way: my time in the Word and my time praying is when my prayers and the, and the Word of God are brought together in my life, and the Holy Spirit speaks through the Word mm-hmm. to my life, and I respond. So praying in response to what I read in Scripture, I find to be most to be most effective. If I'm, for example, just off the top of my head, if I'm reading a passage on forgiveness, mm-hmm. to stop and, Lord, is there someone in my life that I've not forgiven? Mm-hmm. Is there mm-hmm. someone I'm holding a grudge against? Not just, as we so often do, reading the Bible, and that's in one category, and then prayer. I listen to God, and now God's going to listen to me to say all the things oh, I want to sure. say. So you make Scripture reading personal. But bringing the two together, mm-hmm. and it becomes a dialogue with God, so to speak, as things emerge from Scripture. So I, more and more I'm seeking to structure my own prayer life that way, and I find it becomes more more intimate, more more real when it's a dialogue than just, okay, God speaks to me, and now I tell him what I want to tell him. Right, right, rather, yeah, yeah. gotcha, gotcha. So I can't really give you a, a prayer, except maybe, maybe, Lord, as I read your word, meet me here and show me what I need to know about myself and about you. Yeah, I like it. It's good. And I think when we uh, open ourselves up and, you know, if you've listened to both parts of this podcast, you know, you've obviously got a heart for this and you're thinking about it. And, uh, yeah, I would agree with Craig. As you're reading the Word, you're going to be surprised over the next few days what pops up and what you can kind of, you know, combine your, your Scripture reading and your prayers with. But I would also add, just like like Chad's talking about, you know, just be open for opportunities to meet people that maybe normally you just walk right by, yeah. you know, because we're all hurting. We've all got a story, and we all want someone to listen to our story. I don't care what you believe or who you are. And when you show love and compassion, especially when you love somebody else's kids, you're almost always going to win over somebody else's heart because people love it when you love their kids yeah. and you get along and you, and you treat them well. Because that's usually where your treasure is, is in your children. Yeah, and doesn't it surprise us sometimes when people whose lifestyle we don't agree with wind up doing good things that we can get behind? And they're great parents. And yeah. there's so much. Yeah. There's so much we can agree on. Yeah. And so, and when Chad found out, you know, with this with this couple next door, you found out there's a number of things you're on the, totally on the same team on. You know, and it's not, and then people get really weird, like, well, I can't be friends because I'm endorsing their lifestyle. I'm going to point you back to Christ. Yep. Let's, Amen. Let's be known as friends of sinners and the, the those without a voice. And I know those, I'm sorry for those of you who aren't in the faith or who aren't, who don't call themselves Christians. Yeah, I don't, I know you don't like the term sinners, but we apply that term to all of humanity. We're all in that same boat. All right. Well, uh, anything else you guys want to finish with or add at the end here? All right. Um, appreciate you, Craig, for coming on the podcast today. Uh, appreciate the invitation. Absolutely. I had a lot of fun today. I thought it was so a good conversation. I. Chad, good to hear more of your voice. Uh, Carol, I know you're going to listen to this. You're mm-hmm. deeply missed. Um, wish you could have been here for part of this. I love you, and I hope you're, uh, I hope you're feeling better. I'll be seeing you in a couple minutes. So, again, thanks for listening to An Open Letter, this podcast. We would love it if you would spread the word. We'd love it if you would share the episodes. We'll start that from the beginning. Yeah. I turned on the wrong mics. Thank you so much for listening to an open letter podcast. We really hope that you'll spread the word. We feel like the conversations we have, we hope certainly are interesting. 
and we're hoping they're kind of helping you think and draw closer to God, or just maybe if you're not a Christian, helping to understand us crazy Christians a little bit more and kind of get a heart for who we are and, and what we're about. We need your feedback. We want your comments on Facebook. If you just go to An Open Letter, uh, you should be able to find it, or just look up my name, Dave Tisma, T-I-E-S-M-A. Find my Facebook page. Um, I'm usually posting stuff about the podcast down there. So, you know, tell your friends, please, please, please go to iTunes. We need some reviews on iTunes that'll show up, and then we'll start kind of hitting the map there. Um, but I appreciate all of you who do listen to this faithfully and listen to all the different episodes. And, uh, you know, drop me a line. It's at, we have an email, and open letter to you, the number two, the letter U, and open letter to you at gmail.com. Thanks again so much for listening and hope you enjoy the rest of your day or morning or whatever you're listening to this. So thanks. Talk to you next time.